um, in the verses chosen for this retreat, where John prays, where Jesus prays in the book of John for us all to be made one, he says that there's a reason that he is asking for this to happen. And the reason is that the world may know that you have sent me, he says to the Father. We are now given this responsibility to show him to the world, to show him to our children, to our husbands, to our families, to our neighbors, to our enemies. We have this responsibility now to show him. But you have to know him to show him. And I think two of the ways that I spoke up one this morning is that I get to know and to unite and to be with the Father and with my Savior. One is through the Word, and the other one in my life is through prayer. And I am seriously concerned about the body of Christ, the women of God, those of us who have his name. I'm deeply concerned that we be wise and schooled and educated through his word. But I'm also really sensing in my own life and in my own spirit this work that God is doing to me in the area of prayer. And I think that part of this for me is happening because, well, I need it for one thing, but also because... I really feel like his return is soon. I don't think there's any time to mess around. I think it's time to really get serious about what we believe and who we believe in. Prophecy is being fulfilled every week, almost every day. The enemies of Israel are lined up right now to go against that chosen nation of God. Everything that has been prophesied that should happen before his return has happened. We now are in this waiting stage where we're waiting for his return. When I was a a new mommy and a, a new Christian and Chuck Smith was talking almost every week about the rapture and about God coming and I would go, oh, no, no, not yet. Wait a minute. I want to raise my kids. I want to see my children get married. I want to have grandchildren. I had all these reasons. I have no more reasons. I've seen it all. So if he was waiting for me to get ready, I want him to know I'm ready. He could come. And he is coming again. And he's, he's not coming as a babe in the manger. He's not coming as the lamb who was slain. He's coming as the risen and reigning and ruling king of the universe. He's coming in all his glory and his power. He's coming as the Lion of Judah. He's roaring, going to roar forth his righteousness and his judgment upon the earth. And I want to be ready. I know that when I see him, he's going to be more than I ever could have imagined. He's going to be more beautiful, more full of light, more holy, more glorious than I ever even can learn about or know about or pray about or think about. I know that. He's almost beyond my comprehension. He's a mysterious God. And yet I don't want to be too surprised. I want to know him as much as I can know him now. And one of the ways that God works that in my life is through prayer. 
And the last few years, I have re- been experiencing this strong call to prayer. Um, I don't even know if I could call it a call. It's more like God's dragging me to prayer. And it isn't that I have, haven't prayed. I mean, I am a woman who prays. I've raised five kids, five teenagers. I, I'm a woman who prays. I have prayed my entire years of knowing the Lord. But this is, is clearly different. I've never prayed like this before. It's different. It's deeper. It's definitely more difficult than it has ever been. It shakes my very soul. And I want you to know I fight every day to continue. And this is the funny part. I'm really not very good at it. I'm not a really good prayer. If you were to sit with me in a prayer meeting and it comes around to my turn, you go, oh, I don't know. Um, you know, she didn't use the right tone. She didn't have enough passion. She didn't pray the right scriptures. I mean, we all know those prayer warriors who you sit in a prayer meeting with them and you listen to pray and you think, I'm not even saved. I mean, this woman is storming heaven on, on my behalf. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not like that. You would not be impressed with my prayer skills. Really don't have any. I never use all the right words, or, and I'm definitely not getting all the right answers. It's not like I have finally plugged in and God is answering my prayers. That's really not happening. And most of the time I'm only half willing and sometimes only half awake. But never, never have I felt this need and this prompting and this call. And some, for some reason, somehow, I can't stop. And I really thought at this time in my life that I could kick back and I could bow out of the battle and I could let others step up and I could just enjoy my life and my husband and my grandkids and all the things that God has blessed me with. But that's not happening. God is pushing me, dragging me, calling me into prayer. And it it isn't that I decided to do this or, or I made some kind of plan. And actually, I have no secret to share with you about what works. I have no process I've discovered, no prayer journal to sell you in the back. And honestly, I'm not suddenly getting all my prayers answered, all the ones I've always wanted. Still, I'm praying. And I'm not sure after all this time that I'm even getting any better at it. But still, I can't stop. God won't let me. And it all started like this. This is kind of weird, but it all started with God waking me up at night two or three nights a week, sometimes four, usually about one or two or three in the morning. And I'm not too stupid, and so I'm awake, and I can't go back to sleep, and I say, well, I guess God wants me to pray. So I would run through my prayer list. We all have these mental prayer lists, pray for my kids, my church, my, my grandkids, <coughs> myself, all the needs, everything that I knew to pray for, and then I'd be done, and I'd still be awake. And I'd say, one night I said, I said, Lord, do you know what kind of day I have tomorrow? Because I, I really need to get some sleep. And he said, it's because I know what kind of day you're going to have tomorrow that I think maybe you should pray longer. And he was right. And do you know I have never once woken up the next morning from these nights, never once tired, never once frustrated that I didn't get a good night's sleep. How many, is there anybody else here who's waking up in the middle of the night to pray? See? I think that God... Is anybody in the dark waking up to pray over here? Because I can't see your hand. 
I think that God, I really think that he is doing something. I have shared this story about what's going on with me. Um, many places in the country, many places in Mexico, um, even in Europe last summer, I shared this very thing about what God is doing with me, and I've never been one single place where I didn't have several dozen women raise their hands like many of you just did right now. God is doing something. He's waking us up in the middle of the night to pray. Maybe you're too busy during the day. Maybe you're too distracted. Maybe you have little kids, but in the night, there's nothing going on. So he wakes us up and asks us to pray. I think he's raising up an army of women who will wake up, seek his face, and pray like never before. And it's interesting, I usually wake up at 1 o'clock, but when I've been on the East Coast and I've shared this story, uh, those girls are waking up like at 4 o'clock because we're not on the same time thing. And I realize we are waking up at the same time. They got more sleep than I did because they got to sleep until 4. But God is waking us up at the same time to pray. I think he's doing something, and I'm really excited about it. But this is not just happening to me in the middle of the night. It started in the middle of the night, but now it's just like all day long. I love Psalm 75. It says, I will call upon the Lord morning, noon, and night. And now prayer has just become become an attitude with me. It's become a habit with me that I really think God is doing something and not allowing me to stop. I do not believe we are living in regular times. I shared this this morning. I don't think regular Bible study will work, and I don't think regular prayer will work either. We are living in desperate times. I have more friends suffering than ever before. I have more friends of mine that are seriously, seriously sick. I see more tragedy, more trials, more tribulation, more sorrow, more evil than I've ever seen before, more pain, more prodigals than I've ever known or heard about before. We are in desperate times, and we need to be women of prayer. I've been a little, a phrase I've been saying that I think it's time for us to get our face out of Facebook and get our face in his book, but I also think it's time to get our faces out of Facebook and get on our faces before him and seek him and praying. Christian marriages are in trouble. People are falling away from the faith. False doctrine is rampant in San Diego. There are so many churches, many that even came out of our church, that are just steeped in false doctrine now. It's a heartbreak to me, but I also know that this is a fulfillment of prophecy because it says, in the last days, even the very elect might be deceived, and some of them are. There's more confusion in the body of Christ, more compromise more allowance of of worldly attitudes. I think Satan is making his last and desperate stand, and we need to come against it. There's more things I cannot fix or ignore, and I am desperate, as I said this morning, in my relationship with the Lord, but I'm also desperate for him in prayer. I'm desperate for answers from him. I'm desperate for for his help and his strength to give me more faith, more wisdom. I'm desperate for him. And I feel that some of the church have fallen asleep and they've given up and they've given into the world and they are not feeling and sensing and responding to this call to draw closer to him and to get into the prayer room and do business with God. I think we need to wake up and get up and stand up and I think we need to pray up. 
I think it's time. And you might think I'm being harsh on you, and I don't care if I have to guilt you into this. I want you to become women of prayer. C.S. Lewis has said this about prayer, and this is kind of how I feel. He said, I pray because, and this is a small piece of paper, Bethany keeps track of all the incredible organization powers I have about my notes. And one of them is I just have random papers. And um, Anyway, this is a small piece. I know she likes it when I do that. C.S. Lewis said this, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me waking and sleeping. I pray it does not change God, but it is changing me. And this journey of prayer is changing me. I read the prayers of the psalm writers, of the disciples, of the prophets, crying out to God with such passion, with such fervency. Their prayers full of such praise. And I want to pray like that. I want to pray like David. Turn to Psalm 61. I told you this morning I'm just living in the psalms lately, but I love this psalm. Psalm 61. Listen to how desperate David is. Hear my cry, O Lord. He's crying to be heard. Attend to my prayer. That means listen to me. And he says, from the ends of the earth, I am crying unto you. David is desperate for an audience in heaven. He is desperate. Hear me, God. Look at me. Listen to me. I'm crying to you from the ends of the earth. It makes me wonder why when trouble and trial and tribulation come to me like they're coming into David's life at this time, why does it take me so long to fall on my knees and cry out to God? Why do I pick up my phone or go on Facebook or call a friend or whatever when I really know deep within me that God is the only one who can help? I love this phrase. Maybe you've said it. I think I've said it to it when things get really bad. And we will say, well, I guess all we can do is pray. Wait a minute. What do you mean all we can do is pray? The best thing we can do is pray. The first thing that we should do is pray. Is what we need to do. It's what we must do. We must pray like this. We must cry out like David cried out. And he says, I'm, cry- I'm caught crying to you from the ends of the earth. And David was literally at the ends of the earth. He'd been banished from his kingdom. He was running from his son. He was too far from his beloved tabernacle where he worshipped God, his place of worship. He's an outcast. He's run out of resources, out of power, out of influence. He's at the end of himself. He's at the end of hope. And yet he knows that he is not ever at the end of God. He is not far from him. And from this place, he cries. From the end of the earth, it says, I cry unto you. And he says, do you hear me? Can you see me? Do you know me? Will you help me? And then he asks this. He says, when my heart is overwhelmed, huge waves of trouble have come upon David. This word overwhelmed actually is a word that would be used to describe drowning. It means David felt like he was going down, (coughs) excuse me, for his last breath. He was overwhelmed with his trouble, with with his sorrow. He felt like he was drowning. He was submerged in his grief. And some problems are bothersome, some problems are irritating, but that there is this type of trial, and Bethany shared with you hers this morning, that is overwhelming. And it has swept over him, and he is struggling to even breathe. His heart is overwhelmed, he says. 
It's covered over, smothered. It's not functioning properly. He is desperate for God to move and to help. I, I like this overwhelming word because I actually was in a, in a situation in my own life where, where I almost drowned, and it just felt like this. It felt, felt like David is crying out. I was, <clears throat> Mike and I were river rafting with a bunch of friends. We, um, the, the, the water was raging. We probably we were the first trip to go down the Tuolumne. We shouldn't have gone. They shouldn't have taken us. Um, and and on the, it was a three day trip. And on the second day, the, it was just it was dangerous. And we went over a waterfall in our boat. In fact, every single boat that was on our our all our friends, we all um, went in the water. And and I, and I realized as I went in the water and, and I went down to the bottom, I, I know why there's rap, rapids. It's because there's rocks. And the water is going over the rocks. So I kept going down, hitting these rocks, coming back up, gasping for air, going down again because you're just like you're in a washing machine. And, and I looked over to the side and my husband, Michael, the guide, our guy, our rower guy in our raft, had him laid out on a on a rock on the side was pumping the water out of him. And I thought, we are in real trouble, and I, there's nobody to save me, and there is nobody to help. And I really thought I was going to die. The last time I went down, I opened my mouth, I took in water, I, I, I came up, I was coughing, I was spitting, and out of nowhere comes this friend's boat. This friend of ours reached in and pulled me, put me upside down into his raft. And, um, and I was saved. And I can remember that feeling of finally I can, I can breathe. Finally there's, there's daylight. Finally I'm no longer in that horrible water. And we all, and it felt like that. We all felt just overwhelmed. And we all got to a safe place where we could get out of our boats and, and gather together and see who was hurt and who was okay and whatever. And finally, uh, Mike, my husband Mike comes and I go to him and I said, oh, I was so scared. And I saw you over to the side and I thought you were going to drown. I said, do you think, did you think you were drowning? He said, yeah, I did. And I he said, did you think you were drowning? And I said, I really did. I thought I was going to drown. And I said, what was your last thought? And he said, he looked at me, my spiritual husband, and he went, my last thought was, here I come, Jesus. I know. And then he looked at me and he said, what was your last thought? And I went, oh, and I realized what my last thought was. And, and because I had almost just died, I felt like I needed to be honest and I said, well, remember last night there, at dinner, after dinner, there were two desserts and I only had one? So I was thinking, why didn't I have them both? Because what does it matter now? <laughs> Shows the difference between me and my husband. But that's what it felt like. He's saying, hear me, listen to me, look at me. I'm drowning. I need you. That's the kind of prayer God loves to hear from. My heart is overwhelmed, and then he asks this question, lead me to the rock that is higher than I am. It's like, look at me, listen to me, now lift me up to this rock, which is you. It's higher than I am. I can't even get there by myself. It's okay to pray like that. We should be desperate like that for God to, to hear us. He wanted to be lifted up into him. He's not asking for anything more than that. He's not asking for a relief from his problems. He's not asking for peace in his kingdom. He's not asking to be restored to his throne. He's asking for his Savior to look at him, to listen to him, and now to lift him up to the rock where he would be safe. And then in verse 3, he makes this statement that changes your trouble and changes your prayer incredibly. Four words, he says. Now he says, for you have been. 
It's like Bethany writing down things that she was grateful for. For you have been. I get in trouble. I think that there's no help for me. I cry out to God. I need him desperately to come to help me, to lift me, to listen to me. And then as he does that, I can now see him and I can say to him, but you have been. You have been my entire life. And David goes on to say, you've been a shelter. You've been a strong tower. Therefore, I'm going to live in you. I don't care what's happening in my kingdom. I'm going to live in you, and I'm going to trust you. When you get to the place where you can say to God, for you have been, for you have been, and then make a list of all the things he has been to you, all the times he's come through, all the times he has not failed you, all the times he has spoken to you, all the times he has helped you and healed you, and instructed you, and all the times he has forgiven you and corrected you. For you have been, David says, for God has been to me. He has been to me everything that I ever needed. And yet, sometimes we don't pray like this, and sometimes we don't pray at all. F.B. Meyer says the greatest tragedy isn't unanswered prayer. It's unoffered prayer. So what keeps you and I from this kind of prayer, from seeking God, from longing to see his face and hear his voice, from taking all our needs before him and trusting him, for for telling him that we know all he has been to us? What keeps us? Is it lukewarmness? Is it hypocrisy? Is it carelessness, forgetfulness, coldness, sleepiness, pride, unbelief, sin? Let me ask you, this is what, God, what the, God's word says we should be doing about prayer. We're to pray without ceasing. Do you? We're to pray for everything and about everything. Are you? It says we're be anxious for nothing. Oh, that's a hard one. But in everything by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. Do you and I do that instead of worrying and being fearful and being anxious? I love the story of Jesus overturning the money changers' tables in the temple, (coughs) outside the temple in the courtyard, and, and crying out, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And you know what? I am now God's house. Don't you know that you are now the container for God himself? That being beside you wasn't enough. He had to come within you to live within you. So now I am his house. And could he look at me and call me a house of prayer? Am I, am, am I that kind of woman before him? One of the hindrances that comes is, and I, we talked about this, and Bethany talked about it a little bit, is, is Satan has come, himself comes because he hates He hates it when you pray. And it's important to understand this, that he will do everything he can to stop you. He will do everything he can to delay you, to discourage you, to defeat you. So expect him to bring it all against you. Recognize his devices and fight him off. Pray when you don't want to. Pray when you don't feel you need to. Pray when you don't have time or energy or faith. Pray when you're not getting answers. Pray no matter what. He knows that the power is in prayer. And he is fearful of that. So he's going to come against you with everything he's got. But you know what? I can be my own worst enemy when it comes to prayer. I can be so distracted 
distracted by my kids, distracted by my problems, my busyness, my work. What Did I defrost anything for dinner? Um, I'm my own worst distraction. And I can go into my room and get down on my knees by my bed and cry out to God with like David with all this fervency and all this passion and then all of a sudden I am thinking about this outfit in my closet and I wonder what it would look like if I wore that blue dress with some leggings and some boots and, I mean and, and me who was feeling so close to God all of a sudden I'm in my closet or I'm, I'm wondering whether company's coming and I didn't clean the bathroom downstairs. I can be so distracted by my own self, but I have learned not to let that stop me. I'm just going to do what it says. I'm going to bring those thoughts back into captivity. I'm not going to think about it, and I'm going to continue on. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to allow that to stop me. And then sometimes, not only am I distracted, sometimes I'm just forgetful. I just forget. Now, being a pastor's wife for 40 years, I don't know why, but some people thought that if they asked me to pray, something would happen. So um, so almost every Sunday, someone would find me, and, um, oh, Sandy, I'm having surgery next Tuesday. Could you please pray for me? And, and I'm talking to this woman, and I love this woman, and I can't wait to pray for her on Tuesday, uh, because I'm a good pastor's wife, and, and she, she knows that she can trust me that I will pray for on Tuesday. So a couple of weeks go by, and I'm at church again, and she comes running towards me, and I see her, and all of a sudden, and I realize that I didn't remember to pray on Tuesday. And she comes up, but she doesn't know that, and she comes up and she says to me, thank you for praying on Tuesday. Because God showed up, and there wasn't any cancer, and I have to go, oh, I missed the blessing, because I totally forgot. Anybody else forget to pray when someone asks you to pray? I don't say I will pray for you on Tuesday anymore because I am more forgetful than I ever was. I say, let's pray right now. That's an easy way for me to do it. Not only there's distraction, not only am I forgetful, but also prayer Prayer can be discouraging that you're not getting the answers that you want. But don't let that discouragement delay your prayer. Another thing that keeps us from prayer is sin. Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2 says, Your iniquities have separated you from God. And sin separates us. And sometimes when, we're, when, when we have unconfessed sin, when we're living in sin, when we're toying with sin, the last thing we want to do is to come into the presence of God. Because we know we can't come in with this sin upon us. And why do we not avail ourselves of the greatest deal that was ever made on heaven in heaven or on earth. The greatest deal is that we confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and forget them forevermore. What a deal is that? And yet we don't. What do we think? He doesn't know. He doesn't see that we have this hidden part that he's not aware of. Why do we not? When I go, when I go into prayer, the first thing I do is start confessing my sins. You know, if you have unanswered prayer, let me just tell you, do you want an answered prayer that God will answer immediately, faithfully, every time? Ask him to show you where you've sinned. Oh, he can't wait to show you because he knows what sin will do to you. And he knows that it will keep you from him. The Bible says that God's mercy is new every morning. It's like he bakes up these mercy muffins. And the first thing in the morning, I am hungry for God's mercy. 
and I receive his mercy by confessing my sins. What a deal is that? I read this prayer of this woman who said, she's talking to the Lord in the morning. She says, Lord, so far I'm having a really good day. I didn't have a fight with my husband. I didn't kick the dog. I haven't done anything for my kids, but pretty soon I'm going to have to get out of bed. And isn't sin like that? I mean, my feet hit the floor and there I am. And so what do I do about that? I go right to God the Father and ask him for his forgiveness. Do you know that we are the only people on the planet that can live guilt-free? The only people because of what Jesus did on the cross. And yet we don't avail ourselves of the beauty of what that is. Maybe you doubt yourself, you're not good enough, maybe that keeps you from prayer. You're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you don't know the word enough. Everybody else prays better than you are, and you know what, you're right, we don't deserve it. I don't deserve this audience with the King of Kings. I absolutely don't. But do you know when Jesus died on the cross, the veil that separated the people from the Holy of Holies, it was split in two, giving total and complete access to God's throne room. We now can go in no matter what we like, no matter we're like, no matter how we failed. We have access to the throne room. My son Jonathan, who's a musician, he was <clears throat> playing with some Christian band in town that <clears throat> I've always wanted to, to hear. So he said, I'm coming into town. He lives in Nashville. And he said, do you want to come hear this band? I said, oh, I'd love to. And he, I said, can you get me some tickets? And he said, oh, I'll get you tickets. Do you want to pass? And I went, oh, yeah, what kind of passes are there? And he said, well, there's a... There's a meet-and-greet pass. Everybody gets those. There's a backstage pass. That's pretty good. Um, But there's this pass, and it's called All Access. And on the thing that you hang around your neck, in big letters, it's going to say All Access. And that pass means that you can go anywhere. You could get up on stage with the band if you want and take the sticks out of the, from the drummer and start playing. You could go backstage. You could go into the dressing room. You could go up and preach. You can do anything. You have all access. So I said, I want that one. I want that one. Now, if you really knew me, you would know that I'm really shy. I mean, Bethany's the outgoing one. I'm the one just sits hoping somebody will come say hello to me. But, so I'm really shy. So I, I had my pass, and I wore my pass, but I wouldn't have gone wouldn't have gone on the stage. I wouldn't have gone backstage. I wouldn't have gone to a dressing room. I wouldn't have done any of that. I wouldn't have the nerve, but I do want you to know that I did walk around quite a bit with my pass (laughs) so that everybody could see I had an all-access pass on. And looking, who is that old woman, and who does she know that she gets that pass? But you know what? Many of you are walking around with your pass on, but you're not going in. You have all access. The curtain was rent in two. Do you not pray because you doubt how mighty God is? Do you realize that he will not be defeated or dethroned or delayed, that he is mighty to save and to heal and to help and to forgive and to fight on your behalf? He is our almighty God. He has all the might and all the power. He is sovereign. He is in control. He is working all things together for your good. He is working all things together after the counsel of his own will and according to his own plan. He is mighty. You pray, you and I pray to a mighty God. Don't forget that. When you go into the throne room, all access, go right in. He's waiting for you. And just say to him, see me, hear me, help me, lift me to yourself. 
You are my mighty God. You have been to me in the past, and you will now be to me again. Get in there. He's waiting for you. He's longing for you. God summons us into this chamber. He calls us. Do not resist. It is for a gracious and wondrous conversation that he wants to have with you. This just God, justifying the unjust, this mightiest of all, being the kindness, the kindest to you. I hope I'm making you want to pray better, to pray longer. I don't have any secrets to say to you other than this. Just do it. Just try. Just start. And just keep on. And in my life, God has used many things to get me to the place of prayer. He's used pain. He's used tragedy. He's used problems. He's used people. He's used persecution. He has broken my heart until I cry out to him. And I wouldn't, I don't know if I want to repeat any of those works to get me into prayer, but I wouldn't have missed a one of them. He knows me. He knows everything about me. And he has allowed and brought into my life suffering and hurt because he knows it will cause me to come close to him and to cry out to him and to learn to trust him. I'm begging you tonight. This morning I wanted to make you hungry for God's word. Tonight I want to make you desperate for prayer. I'm begging you. I'm asking you to make prayer a priority. I pray that God directs you to it, that he drives you to it, that he drags you to it if he has to. I pray that you too will begin to pray longer and better and louder because God is waiting to hear from us. The world is falling apart. Thousands are suffering for their faith. Children are being beheaded. Many have not yet heard the gospel. And you and I have the power to reach around the world in our prayers. In North Korea alone, 70,000 Christians are in prison, tortured, hung on crosses, run over by tanks and steamrollers. I can't go, but I can pray. I can't do a lot of the things that you can do or that my husband has done over the years, but I can pray. My hope is that Christian women everywhere will answer this call, that we will cry out to God, that we will awaken in the night and stay up and pray up. I'm asking God that women will gather together in homes and churches on street corners and seek God. I'm praying that we will see marriages healed and prodigals come home. I'm encouraging you that this is what I think God wants to do in your life. I'm longing to see an army of prayer warriors and intercessors rise up and seek God. Join forces together and bombard heaven. Enter into the Holy of Holies and seek God's presence and his purpose and his power and his person and his plan. 
an army of women who will beg God for our country, for our leaders, for our churches. This is what I am hoping God will do in you as he has done it in me. So as I close tonight, what I would like to do, what I would really like to do, because lately I'd rather pray than preach or whatever it is I'm doing up here, Um, but I would like to spend just a short amount of time praying for you, praying down strongholds, praying for prodigals, praying for marriages, praying for finances. And the Lord put on my heart a <clears throat> couple of things that, that I want to um, ask you to be honest and, and admit that you need prayer in these areas. And <clears throat> I want to do this corporately, not in a, in a small group. I love corporate prayer. I love seeing women stand up and ask to be prayed for. I love other women gathering around them and putting their arms around them and praying, praying for them. I, it's one of the most beautiful sights, this side of heaven, <clears throat> that I've ever seen. So I'm just going to tell you some things that I feel. And, um, and I have to go home tonight, but <clears throat> Michelle's going to come up and there may be more things. Also, but the first thing that I'd like to do is pray for prodigals. Anybody in this room have a prodigal? Wow, okay, up you go. Stand up, please. <coughs> I, I've had a couple prodigals. I have one now that's not where I want her to be. I have a, a almost 50-year-old son who just recently came back to the Lord and is, couldn't be more on fire. Um, if that encourages you, that even after years of praying and seeing nothing, God brought a new voice into his life and did a new thing in him. Um, God loves our children more than we do, and it breaks his heart more than it breaks ours when they walk away from him. So I understand the pain of having a prodigal. Um, so um, those of you around them, just you know, reach out, put a hand on them so they don't feel like they're standing there alone, and, um, and I'm going to pray. Lord, we bring these children, maybe they're grown children, maybe they're even grandchildren. We bring them right now before your throne, Lord. As mothers, Father, we bring them to you, our Heavenly Father. I know that, that we can't see, but you know right now where this kid is. You know where this child is. You know what this child is doing. You know what this child needs to hear to come back to you, Lord. Would you please reach down in the power of your Holy Spirit from heaven to these kids. Speak into their hearts and their minds and their souls scriptures that they haven't thought about since they were young, Lord. Bring a voice into their arena that would say, what are you doing here when you should be back with the Lord? Do something, Lord. Only you can do this. Probably as moms, we've said everything that we can think of to say. But you, God, you can do this. Your heart breaks for them. Would you turn them around? Would you bring them home? Would you lead them back to you? And may mothers in this room rejoice in the weeks and the months to come because of what you have done. This is going to be your work, Lord. We trust you and we ask, we beg you for our kids, Lord. Bring them home. In Jesus' name, we pray. I read this story, you can sit down, of this woman who had been praying for a prodigal for years and she was just discouraged and defeated and she was about to give up and finally she was sitting with her head in her hands and God spoke to her as she was sitting there and she said, listen, he said, listen, I want you to stand up. I want you to look Satan right in the face. I want you to say this to him. You have messed with the wrong mama. 
you cannot have my kid. Don't be afraid. You have that authority over him. Bringing prodigals home. How about physical needs, healing? <clears throat> Anybody have a physical problem? And, and, and don't, be, don't think that I have come here because I have the gift of healing. I, I, I don't. I don't think anybody has the gift of healing. I think God is the one who heals. Anybody else? Over here. Nobody? Oh, there you go. Anybody else? <clears throat> Let me tell you quite honestly that I don't understand healing, but I believe God heals. I've seen God heal. I've seen God not heal. But I always think it's really good to ask for the best that there is. So we're going to ask for healing. Lord, we come, these women come to you with their physical needs. You, just as you could see our prodigals, you can see into their bodies. You, you know what there is that's wrong. You know what there is that's hurting. You know what there is that needs to go away, Lord, that is not bringing them health. And you are the great healer, Lord. Would you touch and heal physically? Would you do something miraculous that we might rejoice in you and your power? We ask you for that. Father, we ask you for the best that you could give us. But we also want to place ourselves in your hands and in your will, Lord, and trust you for whatever you will bring. Would you give comfort? Would you give renewed hope? Would you give relief from pain? Would you give supernatural wisdom to doctors if there's doctors involved, Lord? Be our healer. In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody have financial problems? And the whole room stood. <clears throat> Do you know who George Mueller is? No? Oh, George Mueller had these orphanages. Um, he, never, he didn't believe in asking for any money, and he only believed in praying for the finances that were needed. And because he only prayed, God did the most miraculous things in his ministry. I mean, there was one day when they didn't have any milk, eggs, or anything for the kids, and there's a knock on his door, and there's, this is a long time ago in England, this guy comes in and he says, I'm, I have a milk truck, I'm a milkman, I'm delivering, and, and my, my, my vehicle just died here, and I can't let this stuff go, it's all going gonna to rot, going to rot, could I leave it all here with you? Um, that, those things like that happened to him over and over again. But I, but I love this particular story about him. He, he was up in the morning, and they, do, they were totally running out of funds. And, and this was his prayer. He said, Lord, I know it says in the Bible that you own the cattle on a thousand hills. But we don't need cattle. We need money. So I'm asking you for money. Have you ever thought that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills? I not what I need. And, but George Mueller was on. We don't need cattle. We need money. And that was the end of his prayer. So the morning goes by in the afternoon. Somebody knocks on his office door and says, there's a man here to see you. And this man walks in, got a big old cowboy hat on. And he looks at George Mueller and he said, you don't know me, but I know about your ministry. And I'm, and I'm from Texas and I just sold my herd and I am here to give you the money. <clears throat> God can do that. So let's pray. Are you, this really, is this all the financial? Oh, okay. You sat down because I was still... Going on and on about nothing. Okay, anybody else? <clears throat> Lord, we come to you with our financial needs because they can be such a distraction to us. They can they can disturb a marriage. They can cause us to to, to lose our hope, Lord. They can cause us to be feel feel guilty maybe about what we've spent. 
Lord, these women are standing so honestly before you because they need your help. They need you to maybe pay the rent or give a job, new job to their husband or to them or, or, or something, Lord. And you are rich beyond measure. And you love to bless us. So we just stand here before you. And we ask that you would meet, because you even care about this, this area, that you would meet our financial needs. And Lord, not only that, help us to be aware of the needs of others, and if we have abundance for us to reach out and bless. And not only that, Lord, help us to maybe learn to live more simply in these last days. But God, would you provide? You are the great provider. Would you do that? And would these women who are standing know that it came from you and from you alone? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> what time is it, Michelle? Oh, wow. Okay, I need to get done. <clears throat> How about strongholds? That just scared you to death, didn't it? Um, anybody suffering from a stronghold in their life? Come on, I know you are. A stronghold, something that holds on to you strongly, that you cannot seem to be released from, thank you, that you cannot seem to be delivered from, a stronghold. It can be fear or worry, it can be sin, it could be pornography, it could be alcohol, it could be, it could be anything, and we don't know why you're standing, and probably a good thing that we don't know. But really, there is not one single stronghold that God cannot break. He is the chain breaker. He is the deliverer. And he does not want you to feel like you are imprisoned to this, whatever it is. He wants to set you free. He wants to give you the liberty. And the fact that you stood before him right now, he's so thrilled that he now that you are standing, that he can reach out and do something in your life. Lord, we pray. We know where strongholds come from. We know they can come from the enemy. We also know we can just walk willingly into them ourselves, Lord. But they keep us from you. They discourage us and defeat us, Lord. They're a bad witness to our family members, to our husbands, to our churches, to ourselves, Lord. But you are the one who breaks the chains. You are the one who delivers, Lord. Only you have this kind of strength. Would you bring your strength against the strongholds in these women's life tonight, Lord, and set them free? And may they know it and accept it, and may they praise you for it, and may they never return to this area again. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, two more things, and then I promise you I'm out of here. How about the brokenhearted? Nobody has a broken heart? There you go. God has kept my heart almost in a state of continual brokenness for years. I think God loves broken hearts. I think he, it says he hastens to the brokenhearted. That means he rushes to you when he sees your broken heart. But he does want to heal. Lord, we, we stand before you as women. Our hearts are easily broken, Lord. They can be broken by a bad marriage, by a hurt from a friend, by a death, by grief. So many things can break our heart, Lord. And yet you are, you are the healer. You are the comforter. 
You are the restorer, Lord. Would these girls know that you have seen and that you love them and care about them and that you are gathering each one of them unto you and drawing them close in their brokenness. May they feel your touch tonight, Lord. May you heal them and help them. In Jesus' name, amen. One last one. I, did I already promise that several times? No. Okay, this is my last one. I promise. <clears throat> if there is something that, that you have an unspoken need, um, and, and you were kind of afraid that I might say it, and then you'd have to stand. Um, do, do you have an unspoken need? Maybe you weren't afraid of that, but maybe I just didn't, didn't touch on it tonight, and you're sitting there thinking, oh, I need prayer, and she didn't, she didn't call out what I needed. If you have an unspoken need, would you please stand? I love the slow kind of wave of standing that happens in the room. Jesus, these needs are unspoken here in this room tonight, but they're not unknown to you. Some of them are secrets that have been kept for a long time, now being addressed by you, Lord. Some of them are hurts that just can't can't be spoken to anybody else, Lord. And some of them are just things that were not addressed tonight, and yet you're longing still to touch and to fix and to heal and to soothe and to comfort and to love. So we're just asking you, as these women stand before you, that you would look deep into their hearts, Lord. You would see what it is. You would let them know that you know and you see and you care and you are working all things together for their good, Lord. Unspoken but not unseen by you. Thank you that you see into the, the, the smallest little parts of us, the hidden parts. And would you now do a work in these women's lives? You are the best, the most amazing, the greatest loving, caring Father that we could have. Let us know tonight. Let us feel in our souls, even in our bodies and our spirits, this love and care coming from the throne room, from your heart to ours, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I really am done. Thank you. I love you. Thanks for listening.